Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Good evening. I am ready to go. Hold. All right, we, if, you, uh, if you missed last week, we are working off of the same handout. If you were here last week, we're working off of the same handout. Um, we will finish it tonight, and um, I will leave you with a repentance activity. I'm just warning you. Um, I, I want you to know that most people don't take me up on it. You know, I would do this in my classes, my introduction to counseling classes. I want to show you um, a way to repent that is amazing and uh, is biblical from Hosea chapter 14. And we're going to talk about how to move forward by cleaning up our relationship with the Lord and then using this method um, throughout our week. Um, So I I want to have you go and experience this. And if you have not repented like this, or you've not repented in a really long time, and there are things on your mind, this is an amazing experience. Um, So uh, we're going to actually get to that as we uh, move along. Um, And I'd like to catch you up if you were gone. Uh, We we finished our last um, material, and we are on a section of growing. And we're going to be talking about um, when growth stalls and how do we get it going again. Because you and I will go through periods where we're really going to grow a lot. And we've talked a lot about growth. And we've talked a lot about forward motion. And uh, what happens is that um, we can kind of run out of gas or something can happen or we can feel stalled in some way. And so tonight I want to address that stalling for you. Uh, if you were not here last week, we talked about the Barna material. And I'd just like to review that for you as we launch into our material tonight. There is a handout that's um, about five pages long that covers this material um, in just some background information that you have in your little packet of information if you're just picking it up. Um, And you can read that at your leisure. But let me review this and then we'll jump into the topic tonight. But would you join me in a prayer and let's invite the Lord's presence and power in our class tonight. Lord, we thank you so much that we are uh, friends and we are companions in this journey. We walk by faith and not by sight, and sometimes it's confusing for us as to where we are along this journey. And there are times that we feel like we flourish, and things are absolutely amazing. But over time, that sense of strong, fast, deep spiritual growth gives way to a plateau. And sometimes on that plateau, uh, we feel dry and empty, and sometimes we have a sense of being stalled or discouraged. So, Lord, as we take a look at our whole spiritual growth rhythms and a part of our life, tonight as we open up what to do to move again, we pray that you would give us wisdom and insight into our own stories and to see how these rhythms about growth and rest and sometimes stalling are part of our own story. And they become a part of our testimony of how amazing you are because you see us through these time periods these stuck zones or these stalled zones or these times where life seems a little bit more dry. We ask that you would be our teacher tonight to teach us about ourselves individually and about this Christian experience so that we would have the tools 
spiritual tools at our disposal to keep making the initiation with you to get our spiritual life moving again whenever it stalls. And that we would have the tools to be able to talk to other people about what they can do in order to connect with you and move again in a stream of growth and depth and intimacy. In Jesus' name, amen. Barna wrote a book called Maximum Faith and he put together 10 stops and we covered these stops and I would just like to highlight for you stop 5 and beyond. Um, As you look at this you're going to see that people move from having no concept of God to a concept of sin and then not really being troubled by it and then a concept of sin and being troubled by it and then knowing that they need to do something and then most of us in our Christian experience will hit stop 5 which is increased religious activity. And Barna found um, out of 6,000 interviews across the United States that only 1 in 10 people really move on from this point. And I think a lot about that. 1 in 10 move on from just religious activity because people feel comfortable there or they get stalled there, one or the other. And what will happen is between 15 and 30 years... Um, into your experience, sorry, 15 to 31 years as a Christian, um, you will begin to have this sense of discontentment. So when you reach this level um, and you've been a Christian for a while and you're doing all the things that you believe that you should do, God is going to call you into greater intimacy with Him. Or you're going to encounter a life experience that is going to require more spiritual energy or more spiritual involvement than maybe what your spiritual patterns have been so far. It's just a part of life. And what will happen is that we will hit this section that he calls disillusionment. I don't know about you, but I remember some of my disillusionment times where I was disillusioned that I would read scripture, but that really didn't seem to be my story at the time. Or I put some trust in some people that really let me down. Or I was part of a church experience and something happened to that church experience and it just wasn't as great as what it was. And there are times that I just sometimes wonder, is this really what God intended for us? I mean, I think you can all relate that we kind of go through these periods. And disillusionment is a design of God to move us closer to Him. It's not to discourage us. It's just that we're growing and we're developing and we're thinking and we're, we're interacting. And if we stay exactly the same, we end up outgrowing our spiritual place. And disillusionment is one of those ways that God moves us forward. And out of disillusionment comes brokenness. Brokenness is a recognition that there is something about me that always needs Christ. I can't save myself. I can't be perfect all the time. This is not to make excuses for when I am not, but to recognize that the world doesn't work the way that it's supposed to. And this is when we can have a sense of heaviness in our own story, a sense of heaviness just being a part of a world, a sense of carrying the burdens, if we will. And at any point in time between disillusionment and brokenness, Christians retreat back to stop number five. And we just do more of what we did before. Uh, Do you remember a definition of insanity that says that if you do more of the same expecting a different result, that's really what insane is. And there's something that happens in the church, and I don't want to throw stones, but something that I've observed and I've really thought a lot about, is that people just can coast, and they just will show up, and they just sort of like evaporate out of service, and they evaporate out of leadership, and they evaporate out of different 
um, spiritual life experiences. And they just sort of coast along. And I wonder if in some sense they haven't settled on stop number five. And they just are doing more of the same. And they think this is as good as it's going to get. But I don't want to leave. There's been some more recent research done that says that when people are discouraged, there's a great number of them that don't want to leave the church, but they don't know what to do in their discouragement. And that's really what I want to talk to you about tonight, is what happens when that happens. Because that's a normal part of our experience. And it will touch us at some time. We'll pray. And it will seem as though we're just praying and our prayers are hitting the ceiling and coming back down. We'll study the scripture and it will seem like we're drinking sand. We're not drinking living water. We'll be interacting with people and we'll feel disconnected from them in some way. What is going on? I don't know that I can give you a really good answer, but I can tell you that there are times that we go through those periods. And it's during those periods that disillusionment and brokenness become a significant part of our story. And then what Barna said is when you move through this idea of brokenness, um, you get into healing and renewal. When you move through this time period, this kind of valley, if you will, um, and when you, when you think about the 23rd Psalm and about how Christ leads us beside still waters and leads us in the path of righteousness and leads us for His name's sake and cares for us, we then go through a valley. And it seems as though when we have spiritual growth, there will then be later on spiritual challenges. And those valleys can confuse us. Because we're thinking we shouldn't be having these experiences that are so stressful for us. That's part of living in a broken world. And out of it comes a greater sense of strength and courage and ability and healing. And I've talked to you some, and I just want to give this to you again, about the iron ore molybdenum. Molybdenum is the sixth toughest iron ore, the sixth toughest element in, in the world, and it smelts at about 4,300 degrees. It does not exist in pure form, and it has to be uh, put in a big vat and heated up and other impurities, other metals scooped off the top as they melt. And eventually, at 4,300 degrees, molybdenum is what is left on the top and it is scooped up and then it is usable. What I want to say to you before I give you the end result of what this is used for is that as you and I struggle, as you and I go through brokenness, as you and I go through disillusionment, that is what I like to call the vat. That's where God is going to be releasing some elements within our character that he has placed inside of us. James chapter 1 says, count it all joy when you encounter various trials. That just seems backwards just seems like that shouldn't be the way that it is. But if you talk to somebody that's been through a trial, they almost always say, I never want to go through that again, but I like who I have become from that trial. When you make it through, some people are crushed by them, but you know, and you've been through some of those yourself. You're like, I don't ever want to go through that bad experience again, but look at what has happened to me. That's molybdenum, if you will. Molybdenum is buried within us. God seeds us with that. And it is through the heat and the suffering of trial. It is the movement of God within our lives that begins to release into our character strength and ability. Molybdenum is added to iron to make skyscrapers. Without without molybdenum, there are no skyscrapers. Think about that. The steel is not strong enough to bear the weight without molybdenum. Hmm. 
I love that metaphor. You want to be a skyscraper? You know, skyscrapers don't draw attention to themselves. But people notice them. Why? Because they're amazing. And they're tall. And they're in the way. And you can't help but go, wow, that's a really cool building. What God is doing is that he is adding to our character different kinds of Christ qualities that sometimes are only released in brokenness, disillusionment, that are then released in this sense of healing and renewal. And in the end, people look at you and say, you seem different. You seem better. You seem more peaceable. You seem more wise. And people look at that and go, I don't, I don't really know what you're talking about. I feel pretty normal. But what happens is, is that Christ is being noticed in you and the fruit of the Spirit is being noticed in you and God, as you're interacting with people, is pointing out that here is a traveler who has information for you. Here's a place that you can go and you can have a conversation with this person. That's what he wants from us. But all too often, according to Barna's research, we go back to stop number five. We climb out of the vat. It's too hot. I don't like this. I'm going to take my issues and I'm just going to like bury them and I'm just going to settle for this. We've talked a lot about taking the Word of God in and trusting God to change us. What Barna is saying is that there's a whole bunch of people that really struggle with that. And so when you're looking at this um, idea, people end up being stalled. Then what you can see, if they go through healing and renewal, they have a profound love for God and an extreme love for people. That is one half of one percent of all Christians actually on his, and I don't know what that actually means in comparison to where you might be sitting, but I look at that and I go, you know, it's easier to love God than it is to love people. Because people are messy and sometimes you get close to them and they get you with their quills and their porcupine and sometimes they hurt you and they betray you. God, sometimes it's hard for us to understand, but we stay in this process and we learn and we grow. So, with this in mind, this kind of background on Christianity in the United States, um, I want to take you to the stalled Christian. And I want to say to you that we work to not be stalled. You can do all of the right things and end up being stalled. Isn't that interesting? You can come to church, you can be in a small group, you can be reading your Bible, you can be praying, you can be doing all of the things that you have always done, and over time, you can actually feel like you're not as close to the Lord. And that is what a stalled experience is like. And a stalled experience needs to be charged up and moved forward. And some of these disciplines and ideas that we're talking about are part of how do you keep moving forward. But here's what I have noticed when I have been stalled, just as we start. These spiritual experiences that we're talking about and these methods that the Scripture tells us that God wants for us to use are the very methods that He shows up in to unstall us. But I don't know where the tipping point is when we get our energy again. I want you to think about your own experience. How long did it take you to get unstalled? It might be a various, various lengths of time. But we often stop reading our Bible. We often stop praying. We'll pull away from Christian community because we get frustrated and we think this is not doing me any good. And what God would want you to know is you still have your Bible study. You still pray to God. You still stay with your Christian community because it is in those experiences that He eventually shows up and wham, something happens. And I want you to think of it as a tipping point. 
is that through those experiences, God is interacting with you in ways that you cannot perceive because you don't have the spiritual eyes to see it. This is where we walk by faith. We don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. We believe that the Word of God is living and active in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. We believe it's a conversation that God is having with us, even if I'm having a hard time feeling connected. We believe that this is still the work of God in our lives. And what happens is that over time, something happens to us. And you may have had some of those experiences. You'll be in a sermon and all of a sudden, wham, something happens to you. You'll be reading the scripture and then all of a sudden you feel some kind of a connection. You go to a conference and then all of a sudden something clicks for you in some way and you can't explain why. And all of a sudden you become unstalled or you start moving again in your life. And so what I want to suggest to you is that as you're looking at this idea of stalled, I want you to be thoughtful that God wants you to continue to interact with Him, even if you, you're having a hard time receiving back from Him. And I don't understand all of that. I think sometimes there are spiritual blocks. I think there are sometimes spiritual oppression. I think that there are just times that God says, I need you to go through this time to build your trust. He's making you fearless. And even if you can't perceive him, you can still see his blessing in your life. So, let's talk about being stalled. I picked some verses that I think reflect this, and I've uh, put them in color for you. The blue um, has to do with what stalled looks like, and the green has to do with something that you need to do. So here is Hebrews chapter 5, 11 through 14. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. You're stalled. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, still, being, still an, being still an infant, um, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. One of the ways that we keep from being stalled as much as possible is that we are trying to distinguish good from evil within our own lives. What is the thing that I should be doing? And what is something that I should not be doing? What is bad for me? What is wise for me? What is not, not good for me to do? And this desire to be trained to know how Satan is counterfeiting real life is going to be important for us. So I put on here, stalled Christians. Um, This is in research. In most churches, 13% in in a study of 1,000 churches, 13% of Christians reported being stalled and were thinking about leaving. 13%. In our church, we had 2,600 adults Um, on one of our big Sundays. So out of those 2,600 adults, 13%, if we are a normal kind of a church, would have people who would say, I'm stalled. Um, Up to 18% report that they are dissatisfied in the same churches. And up to 50% of some churches are a combination of these two groups of people. What I want you to see is that this is a more normal experience. So when it happens to you, or you know somebody who's like, yeah, I'm pretty discouraged. I don't really feel like God is talking to me. I, don't, I go to church, but I don't really get anything out of it. I try really hard to pray, but it doesn't really seem like anything is happening. Okay? That's, I want you to hear those words. That, that there can be, an, uh, in our lives, time periods where we experience that. And so I want, I want to give you this. In the same research, it says nothing has a greater impact on spiritual growth than the reflection on Scripture. You're going to see us... Um, from the stage, in the fall, and even before then, as much as possible, roll out encouragement about reflection on Scripture. The number one way 
that God keeps us moving, even when we're struggling, is a reflection on Scripture. And the Lectio Divina that we have been doing in here is one of the very best things that you can do. Guess what you'll stop doing when you get discouraged? You'll think this isn't doing any good. Remember the tipping point. Remember that you're having a conversation and you're just not getting the connection. And because you're not getting the connection, it can be discouraging. So I put the Lectio Divina, reading Scripture, thinking about it, and praying through it. Um, stalled Christians, oops, sorry, hit two at the same time. To move from stalled to growing, you invest more personally in faith. Silent, solitude, scriptural immersion, and prayer. That's what we're doing in this class. You invest more in your own faith experience. And it is a bit of a mystical experience. Um, you are a part of a tradition, probably in the evangelical tradition, that um, is less mystical than um, other, other traditions have been. We, we get a little nervous about God is speaking to me. We just do. We get a, God told me. God spoke to me. God's directing me. We get a little bit nervous about that because we have seen that sometimes people really struggle and they go in a direction that actually hurts them. I get that. But what I want you to know is that as we do the Lectio and the Word of God speaks to us and it says to us, we need to be more of a certain way, then that is always money in the bank. I need to be more loving. I need to spend more time with my family. I need to be more prayerful. Those very strong biblical statements are what we go back to in order to move forward. So we uh, notice little investment yields little growth. Spiritual practices reinforces our love for God and rekindles our belief in His love for us. Here's what I want you to know. God is going to scare you. He's going to scare you and He's going to show up. Because the Word of God is going to convict you. And it's going to be, I need to have a conversation. I need to, I need to apologize. I need to um, go talk to this person. And you will talk yourself out of it. You go, no, no, I just, that, that was just probably indigestion. That's not really God speaking to me. Because I'm super uncomfortable with doing that right now. And then there's going to be this gnawing little bit in the back of your mind going, was that God or was that not God? And we can shut that off. And I think that's where we grieve the Holy Spirit. And if we do it and we step out, God meets us in the moment we step out. And He empowers that. But He will not do it in advance. He won't tell you what the end result will be before you do it. He wants you to experience it so that you will trust Him, so that as you serve Him, you will know that He will be with you. Makes you fearless makes you able to move forward. So the spiritual practice then of putting the word into practice and being nervous about it and moving forward actually reinforces our faith. Then just being an armchair quarterback that knows what the word of God is but doesn't go and put it into practice. God doesn't want that for us because that just makes us super critical and annoying. Because we know a lot of stuff but we just don't put it into practice. And when we're found out, what, what do people think about us? Well, you're not doing what you are telling us that we need to do. And I can honestly tell you that there are times that I just am very nervous about putting into practice some of the things because it just feels more threatening than what it probably really is. A second dot is become more connected and invested in the church, especially through a small group. Uh, research indicates that spiritual friendships, and, we're, we're, and I, I would maybe broaden that out, um, to include you know, dynamic interactions with people that you know, but even small groups are supposed to be little nucleus um, elements that are like filling stations for you. 
and that allow for you to move forward. So having those relationships are really important because if you get all really dry and you still go to your small group and you say, you know, I'm just really feeling pretty dry, they can be very encouraging to you. You might actually stop going to church and stay with your small group because that's where you're connected. And you you need to have those relationships to help you get through this time period. And you need to be around other people that have been through stalled who aren't afraid of the fact that you're stalled. So if you were to say to me, Peter, I'm stalled, I'll put my arm around you and go, well, welcome to the, the stalled group. I'm not stalled right now, but I know what that feels like for me. And I don't like it. I don't like it. So let's talk about what can you be doing in your life and how can you interpret this time period of spiritual experiences for you. You need somebody else to talk to about this so that you don't feel like you're the only wacko, crazy person that shows up at Christ Church and feels disconnected. Because you can walk into the worship service and you look at everybody and they're like all like, you know, praying and they're raising their hands and you're like, I don't feel that way. So I'll just do that too. And it makes us feel really odd. And the last one is, this one is really important. Be less busy. Ouch, if I could step on your toes. Notice this. Many stalled Christians report that they're overwhelmed by normal life. That one really caught my attention in the research. Normal life. Normal life. I, I've been through the zombie years. That's when your children are zero to four. I've been through the I'm so sick and tired of diapers time period. That was between the time of zero and ten. Not that our kids were in diapers at ten, but Audrey was ten. And the youngest one was just coming out of diapers. We had ten years of landfill diapers. And, you know, I'm getting old, and so we're going to have Depends. I'm heading for diapers again, which is not going to be really fun. I'm going to be tired of that as well. I'm like, ah, begin and you end. I'm going to be tired of this. And then we had the chauffeur years, you know, where our kids don't drive. And they're involved in all kinds of things. And that's like from age, like, eight or nine, all the way on up till they drive, whenever we feel like maybe I want to trust them, and then you can't drive on range line. And then we have the staying awake at night, being nervous that our children are driving. You know, 16, and they've taken my car because I haven't given them one yet. And it's like, we still need my car, and you have to keep it on the road. And you, you stay awake, and they come in and go, oh, thank you so much. And then they like want to stay up. And then you've got to like monitor their phone use, and you've got to see who they're texting at 3 o'clock in the morning. And it's like, okay, stop. Then you have the exhaustion years on the other end. And then they all leave. And you look at this and go, what happened to these years? We are so incredibly busy that just the living of life can push God right out. And a lot of stalled Christians feel that way. So Sabbath, rest, stopping, telling your children to wait so you can have a conversation with your spouse. All those things we don't want to have to do are going to be really, really important for us to be able to do. So I just would give that to you to say that's really an important component. Okay, let me give you some more and then I'm going to have you guys talk about these elements, stalledness. Uh, Specific steps reported to go from stalled to growth. Connect with God through spiritual practices. That's what we're doing. Is that you want to try something new. Don't keep doing the same thing. I've changed my prayer life. I've started journaling again. I've gone on big hikes. Um, I just try to mix up something, hoping that it's going to work. And I got this from parenting Alex. Um, I love my son, Alex. He was terrible as a child. Um, Between zero and five, he was all boy, boy, and he was stubborn as all get out, and he would bite people and throw things at them, and he would spear tackle them when they'd open the front door. He actually spear tackled a 
um, somebody when he was five that came to visit us and <laughs> down they went when they came in. You can't do that. <sighs> no discipline seemed to work for him. I just rotated it all. Conversations, time out, spanking never worked for him. He just like sticks a little rear end out and go, give me some more because I'm not changing my... And, and by just changing all of the things that I did in trying to get his attention, I accidentally found what worked every single time. And it was sending him to his room. He's an introvert, but he hates being alone. When he doesn't want to be alone. Like when I tell him he has to be. You know how that is in a stubborn child. The minute you tell him to do something, you have a fight. But he would not fight that. I don't know why. It's like, oh, thank you, Jesus, for obedience and that one discipline. I joke that he spent his entire childhood in his bedroom. That really isn't quite true, but that was it. Is that, do you need to go to your room? No. Then you need to act in this way. And when he didn't, it was go to your room. Think about this. And you can come back out as long as you can act this way. And he would go back and forth between his room many times during a day. I disciplined him by... Isolation. It sounds so terrible. I did not put him in a box. Did not, did not close the door. He still got to eat all the food that he did. But I found it on accident by using methods. Here's, here's the lesson. You will find on accident what's going to work for you if you rotate your spiritual methods. Isn't that interesting? Because at different times, you know this is true if you've had kids, different methods work at different times with kids. Different spiritual methods work at different times on God's kids. Why do we think that we have to do everything the same all the time? Because it worked once, it's going to work again, right? So I want you to know that this connecting God through these spiritual practices, one of the reasons to give you options is not to be overwhelmed, but to say these options are no longer as vital as the connection. I need to rotate some of my other options and see really what's going on. And I just want you to play and explore and see some things. And so I've, got a, I've probably got 10 options that I just rotate on a regular basis. You know, I'm not the person that gets up at four in the morning, turns on the light, sits down at my desk and journals and has my quiet moment with God. I mean, I can do that, but that's just like yuck to me. I mean, that's just not what I... That four o'clock in the morning is when people should be asleep. Or if they're not sleeping, they should be in the gym doing something so that they can at least get their body moving. I mean, I just... Vanna loves four o'clock in the morning. 4.30 in the morning. She's a morning person. It is just, she, she loves it. She just gets up. She does all of her time. And it's really amazing for her. Super incredible. And I look at that and I go, well, God made us differently. It doesn't mean one is better than the other. It just simply means you've got to find the rotation or the kind of spiritual disciplines or spiritual experiences, if you will, they are going to be meaningful to you. Uh, number two, come to grips with, a compromi- with compromising issues on my own. What this simply means is whatever is getting in the way of my spiritual growth, I need to deal with. It might be a bad attitude. It might be overcriticalness. It might be that I'm trash-talking myself. It might be that I know that the Bible, that God is wanting me to do something, the Bible is directing me to do it, and I'm just refusing. It may just simply mean that I've got a hurt in my life, and I'm nursing it, and it somehow is keeping me from growing. It may just mean that I'm just plain old stubborn, and I just don't want to read my Bible because I've read it like five times, and I don't want to read it again. It may mean that I don't really know how to pray and I don't want to learn how to pray. I don't know what it is, but it's just a a standpoint of if I can discover that there is something that is compromising my spiritual life, I might be watching too much screen time, but I got my shows and I got my online person and I just don't want to give that up. Well, I don't want to give that up and I don't have enough time, I'm not going to grow. 
So you have to look at this and you have to start this pruning process. Uh, number three, sometimes people switch churches. I thought this was interesting. Now, I don't advocate necessarily that you do that. Talk to me first. Uh, <laughs> before you leave Christ Church. Um, but I do know that sometimes people shift their spiritual home. And that was really interesting that that, that came up. I am not a church hopper. Um, very rarely have I ever changed. I'm more of a stay and work things through as much as possible. Um, but I know that that has been really helpful for some people. And sometimes you have to get into a group that you can connect with. I get that. Um, starting attending church regularly. Sometimes people were very um, sporadic. Some people will say to Mark, Hey, this is my church home. When I come to church, I come here. That's like once, the average American now goes to church once every three, three weeks. Once every three weeks. Okay, so that's just probably 15 times a year. How can you be connected in a faith community if that's really all that you have? They're not in small groups. They're not in Bible studies. They're Sunday attenders. Once every three weeks, they will make room to come, and then they take, but they really aren't growing all that much, and then when something happens, they can't figure out what's happening to them. So some people have to step up their involvement. Uh, change in life circumstances. This one is a really big one. Um, if you become unemployed, if you have a physical health crisis, if a baby is born, if um, there is a, a change within your family dynamic in some way, that will impel and for spiritual growth. Uh, joining a small group is really great because you have the interaction, the positive interaction. I'm assuming that that's a positive small group. Uh, shared struggles with a friend or a mentor. Uh, number seven is really, really important, gentlemen. Ladies are more willing to talk than what we are because we're kind of like, oh, no, I don't really want to talk about that. I'll be okay. But what happens is, is that when we feel comfortable enough and say, hey, I'm working on this with my family and I'm kind of having a hard time with this, um, what do you think I should do? That is an incredibly positive experience. And it's harder for some people to be vulnerable like that because we're somehow expected to have all the answers. And both men and women can have that, but women are more likely to uh, be a little bit more vulnerable and talk about that than guys. Number eight, spiritually moving experiences. That's really cool. That's kind of that zap that you have in the worship service or you're um, listening to music or you run across a passage and all of a sudden something clicks together or you're praying and something really amazing happens and it's like the burning bush. You want to have it happen again, but it only happens once. I don't know why. Can't have that more often. Uh, experience a personal crisis, very similar to change in life circumstance, and was inspired by the story of another person. Inspiration. Here's what I would like for you to do is, um, in your groups, I'd like for you um, to go back to stalled here. I'm just going to put that up there. And um, talk a little bit about your impressions of stalled. Have you experienced stalled before? I don't want you to say anything that you don't want to say. Um, what helps you to stay motivated? What are some of your observations about stalledness, so to speak? Uh, if you've been stalled, how did that feel? It makes me anxious, to be honest with you. If I get overly stalled and I don't feel connected, I'm like, what is going on in my life? I'm doing all the things that I think that I should be doing, but I'm not moving forward. And then it, it's just puzzling to me, if I can just be honest with you. And I'm like, huh, I wonder what I need to do about that. So I'd like for you to just kind of have an experience, uh, have a, a time to have a conversation, not experience about stalled, uh, to talk about stalled. And what do, you, what do you think about this? And have you experienced this? Or 
If you want to talk about somebody who you have some concerns about that you think might be stalled, please do not use any real names. No real people will be named in the stalled category. Um, I'll be turning off this mic so that we don't accidentally get any of that on there. But you can make some observations about what stalled might actually look like and see what that might have looked like in your life if you want to do that. And then what I want to do is just get some observations from you when we're done about stalled. What do you think about that? What do, you think, what do you think is helpful? What, what has been helpful for you to move you forward and all that? And then we're just going to move on and talk about um, some other aspects of this. So, yes? On the Hebrews 5, you had the different colors, mm-hmm. and you mentioned it. Yeah, blue is uh, the things that, we're, that people are struggling with, and green is what you should do. Okay. Yeah, so the discerning good from evil is really what you should be doing in order to not be on milk is what that passage is talking about. Okay, I'm going to put this on hold and let you guys talk. Okay, let's, um, let's take a few minutes and just make some observations about stalled. Um, it should be a book. Stalled. Thoughts that you had that you would like to share about stalled, getting unstalled, observations about it that uh, you all talked about? Mm-hmm. Yes. One of the things I, I've missed is that we, were, we did have a, a small group at our house every two weeks, and now that's disbanded. Hmm. And I'm really missing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, those spiritual conversations, the regular conversations, are very helpful for us. And when they're gone, we recognize how valuable they are. Um, it's just not theoretically good for us. It's really good for us. Other comments? Yeah, Tucker. It's kind of two points. Um, learning to grind through the everyday. So when you first, or at least for me, when I first really started to get plugged in, I had a super excited spurt where you're excited about everything. You get involved in either a small group or you get involved in something at church and your daily Bible study and you're happy, you're excited. It's kind of like the first three months of the gym membership. You're happy, you're good to go, you see some results, awesome, I'm moving forward. And then you hit that point where it's just you. It's just you and the Lord. Whether it be you kind of get just used to the daily stuff that you're doing or you have that, then you've got this other stuff to worry about too, so you become kind of used to that daily grind of, of you have these things you need done, so those boxes to check. And I kind of, in the midst of that, I realized for me that mindfulness is key. So for me, an intellectual experience is very um, encouraging when it comes to the scriptures. So when I have those, I realize I'm more mindful of what I'm studying. I may only study one verse, or, or maybe even a part of a verse, or I may study a whole chapter. It depends on that time. But when I become more mindful of my time with the Lord, or anything I do, when I'm mindful of that, then that really helps me to push through a grind because I'm... I'm more focused on what I'm actually trying to do other than just checking my boxes of, okay, I did small group, I did this, I did that, I did my prayers, now why don't I feel better? So I guess for me, the whole key in all of that mixture was, you know, in that daily grind, find your mindfulness of what you're doing and make sure your focus is, is where it needs to be. Right. Thank you. Other comments? I'm baffled by the because I think for me I've been the last person running towards the pencil mm-hmm. and I've been in the middle and I've been at the standstill of the pencil 
and I'm trying to figure out where I fit in across on the other side. Mm -hmm. Because for me, being stalled is that um, is a choice, and if I've made got in his word and studied and been in a small group and associated like I needed to be doing, then I would have already been across the bridge. Mm -hmm. So for me, I don't really know where I where I'm at sometimes on that picture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good observation. Yeah. Sometimes we're not our best counselors to know. But don't you think that we have that stall throughout our life? We mm -hmm. come up to the sure. pencil throughout our life. Yes, we can also. Yeah, but sometimes we, if I could say this, I don't want to put words in your mouth, so correct me or add to this. Sometimes we get lost in our own story, and we're not exactly sure where we are, but sometimes we know that we're in a place that doesn't feel quite right. At other times, we're, we're like running, and everything is going really well, and we can't quite figure out how or why. And then there are times that we really have to drill down and say, I am standing there, and I am stalled. And I have to figure out what I need to do. And that I, could even be in a crisis. Could be, or yes. In a, you know, something like that. Yeah. It causes us to all of a sudden it's like, where are you, God? Mm -hmm. Why aren't you helping me through this? Why do I feel so depressed? Or why do I feel? Mm -hmm. So then we end up being stalled for a little mm -hmm. period of time until he helps us work through that. Yeah. Heals us. One, one of the things that I've noticed just as we're talking about this that I would just give you to think about I think it's really good for us every morning to greet the Lord as we get our day started. But how do you greet Him? Yeah, how do you greet Him? What do you say to Him? The Jews say, Master of the universe, thank you for watching over me last night and keeping me safe. What do you say? One of the things that I have thought about is the joy of the Lord is our strength. The fact that we have a relationship with Him that sometimes we don't understand is still a source of joy. For the Creator of the universe is living in us. And if I'm stalled or I'm on this and I don't really know where I am, I can simply say, Lord, I don't really know where I am. But I know that you are closer. This is, this is a phrase that a friend of mine and I use. You're closer to me than my own skin. And I affirm to you that I know that you are with me, even though today I might be having a hard time figuring out how that works. So please show up in my day today and help me to see you at work. And invariably, you will have an experience where something wise will come out of your mouth. <laughs> or you might have a little more patience in one particular area. Or you might say something to somebody and have a really engaging conversation. Or you could have an aha experience. And it, it might just be noticed by you in some way. I think God will give us these little moments with Him so that He affirms to us, that he is with us. And if I don't get that and I'm so dense that I can't perceive that, then I go back and I say, I look at my life and I see the things that he has already done. And I will thank him that I am not the same person that I was two years ago or, heaven forbid, at 15. When I was really trying to grapple with some things that I remember as a teenager, I was just really working through and trying to figure out and I... He helped me to resolve those things so that I know that he will continue to help me in the future. So if you get lost in your own story or you're not really sure where you are on this, um, I think there are some affirmations that we can make 
that really are true, that are really helpful for us, that have helped me to remember whose I am. Sometimes that's hard for me. Remind me, Lord, of who I am. I am a son of God. You are, ladies, a daughter of God. And we have this relationship with him that is uniquely our own. And something is getting in the way of my ability to perceive exactly how close we really are. Exactly how close we really are. Because we walk by faith and not by sight. And sometimes my faith meter gets clogged up or fogged up or gummed up or something. And it sometimes is a little bit hard for me to figure some of that out. I really appreciate the observation. I don't know that we have any easy answers, but we've all been there where we're like, what really is going on and how do I navigate this time period? And I have learned that I want to navigate it with statements of faith. The last thing that I will do is if I really get discombobulated, I will go to a good friend and I will say, tell me some good things about myself. What am I doing well? Because I'm losing sight. I'm struggling. I'm, I'm, I'm too focused on a particular issue in my life or I'm feeling overly disconnected. You tell me. It's something I give to students a lot at Ozark Christian College when I visit with them. And I remind them, I don't see you the way you see you. I see who you are becoming. And I see some of your strengths. And I see some of the goodness. And all you can see is right in front of you that really negative thing that you're really dealing with or the the issue that is really taking your attention. There's more to you than that. And so I think sometimes we have spiritual friendships that we can pull aside and just say, I'm just really struggling right now and I just feel kind of empty or I feel alone and I'm not really sure why. Tell me some things about our faith. Tell me some things about God. Tell me some things about me that are good. And when when you're going through a transformational experience, it's really nice to get the... Um, viewpoint of another person who knows you that can say, I see these good things in you. So I just want to give that to you too. If you, get in, you get into lots of struggle. That's really, really good. When Vanna was um, dealing with being put back together again and, and growing, it was really good to hear what other people said about her progress because they knew. You know, they, they could see that she had made progress from like Monday to Friday. And while I could sense some of that, I was so busy with other things that I would have overlooked some of those areas of progress. And it was so encouraging to have somebody who works with people who are overcoming trauma be able to identify those forward motion elements. And we do that for each other because sometimes it's really hard in this world and we help each other see that forward motion that we have. So I just want, want to give that to you also. Let's move on. Thank you so much. We have 15 minutes, um, and I'd love to finish this little section here and give you some more things to look at. Um, there is also, in our vernacular, um, this sense of a worldly Christian is what Paul says. We call it carnal Christians. You've probably heard that phrase before. Um, people who still struggle um, with their own um, self-focused life. And so I have this drawing for you. It's, a, it's an old concept. Um, and you have on the left-hand side this idea of an unregenerate person. And this is identified on the drawing. It's, it's a drawing from probably, I would say, maybe the 70s or the 80s. Is the natural man. It was the only one that I could find that had these all connected like this. But this is the, the person who has not yet named Christ. 
both men and women, and you can see that the E is the self, the ego or the finite self is on the throne of one's own life. That's really what that's talking about. And the the dots are scattered around which um, identify um, interests in life that are not organized and they're just really random. And so whatever kind of shouts the loudest, that's what um, you get. Um, On the right-hand side, you have the carnal man, and the carnal man still has... Um, Christ in his life, but still has a self-focused view, and you can still see that there's some chaos that's actually going on. And then in the center diagram, you have Christ um, who is on the the throne of your life, and you are not, and Christ organizes your life and puts it all together. Um, What Paul will say in this next verse that we're going to look at uh, from Corinthians is that there is a worldly kind of response. And that is that when we lose our focus and we don't listen to, to Christ or we want to do what we want to do, we become, in, in the sense that Paul's talking about, worldly. So I want to talk to you about that because worldliness in us stalls our growth also. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says this, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't say that they're not saved. He just simply says that you, you, you are worldly, and you are really like babes in Christ, although you don't think that you are. Remember, this was Corinth, really sophisticated. People thought that um, things were really kind of cool for themselves, and they had incorporated a lot of Greco-Roman culture within the church, and they were dealing with a lot of issues. And he says this, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. I ask myself this question, how much of the world still resides in me? Or how much of my own family's culture resides in me? How much of my own personality that wants to kind of have its own way still resides in me? And there are times that I'll just ask that question. I don't know that I can always answer it really well, just from the standpoint that sometimes I don't know where I am in my own story. And I want to listen to other people, or I have... Um, like I've said to Scott Boudreaux, if I ever do anything that I should not do, you are to draw blood. That's figuratively speaking, not, not realistically. But I have talked with people and I have said, if you see me moving in a direction that I shouldn't be going in, because you are my friend, you are supposed to warn me. You're supposed to let me know. So please, even though I might not want to hear it, and even though I might be combative and rationalize that, and tell you exactly why I'm going in that direction, and you should agree with me, I need you to tell me that I am doing some things that I have today committed that I don't want to do. Because our hearts can be deceptive. That The ego can start controlling everything, and then chaos begins to happen. So I put this here, a carnal Christian is one who has been saved but is not submitting to God in daily life. Rather, this Christian is living in the flesh, sinful nature, thus this person is worldly. Now let me step on some toes and say some things that I would like to do as gently as possible. Sometimes I think that worldly Christians look very spiritual because they have the form of faith, but they don't have the power of faith. They go to church... They're trying to raise their kids with the right kind of lifestyle. But there is an emptiness inside of them. Then there's anger and rage. Or there's gossip. Or there's excuses for bad behavior. Or there's, well, that's just the way that we are. In my family, when there was a worldly component, my family is Irish. My father has red hair. 
Um, I used to have red highlights. You know what Irish are famous for, don't you? Their temper. That's just the way that we are. Can't do anything about that. We know that that is not true because one of the fruits of the Spirit is not an Irish temper. It just isn't there. And so you look at that and you make peace with an aspect of your life. And that makes us in that area worldly or spiritually infants. And the power is removed from us in that sphere or that domain or those interactions because I'm clutching on or holding on to something that I'm not letting God change. That's more my problem than it is just having a sense of worldly values and hypocrisy and pretending that I'm a believer and I'm not. I think that there are times that if I don't stay close to Christ and I don't greet Him in the morning and I don't set my mind and I don't have my friends that are helping me make sure that I am living the way that I shouldn't live, I think that there are some qualities in my life that will creep back. And the number one quality is that I think that I'm always right. Because I am. I was given an overabundance of self-esteem as a baby. Um, I know other people didn't have it. I got it. And um, even when I'm wrong, I can convince you that I'm right. I'm also very argumentative. And, um, and when I get going in a way that is not healthy, those will flare up. You can ask my wife. Please don't. <laughs> I'm not exactly the most cooperative person when it comes to what I don't want to do. And that is a fruit of the flesh. This is not a fruit of the Spirit. And I don't always see it, if I could be honest with you. I don't always see it. I also don't really like to talk a lot, especially when I'm tired. What I like to do is just be left alone. So when I have a really, really hard day at work, and I'm talking a lot, or I'm counseling, or I'm working with people, it doesn't mean that I dislike my wife. It means that I want to come home, and I'm kind of out of gas, and I want to get going again. But the problem is that if I'm out of gas, and I don't save some words and some gas, somehow Vanna takes that personally. And she doesn't think that I really like seeing her. And I I like seeing her, but I would just like to see a quiet her. (laughs) I'm just not ready I just am like, oh, good, I'm home. Well, honey, let me just show you what I got. Let me just talk about this. And it's great. It's great. But in my flesh, hear me well, in my flesh, guess what happens to me? I get a little snippy. (laughs) Or I don't give her my full attention. You all know what this is like, don't you? This is what we deal with. This is it right here. God has to give us what we need in those moments. This is the practice of our daily faith. I run out of energy spiritual energy that God is giving me through the day and I need more of it. Or else, I get worldly. If I could use, This is what he's talking about. It's not like I'm just this horrible sinner. It's that Peter Buckland comes back up from the dead and he's supposed to be on the you know, living sacrifice. And the problem, of course, with the living sacrifice is it keeps getting resurrected all the time. And you crawl off the altar and you go, okay, I've had this. I just need some Peter time. And it just means I'm going to like, not do that. That just never helps. And I get that. So you and I are constantly asking for the work of God, this accompanied life, which is why we started with that. I need God's work in my life to get me through some of those moments. Or I can just by accident become myself. Instead of the Peter Jesus that I'm supposed to be, I become Peter Peter. 
who I am, what my personality is. And I'm very mindful of that. And sometimes it happens and I don't really notice it. And I'm sure that it happens to you too. Uh, Paul goes on and says, For since there is, and this is, this is how you know that there is um, worldliness in you, is what he's saying here. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Ouch. Thank you, Paul. Jealousy and quarreling in the church? Never. Never. Never, never, never. Because we're always, always right, right? Always. We always are. Oh my goodness, that's worldliness right there. It's a warning. Paul is giving us a warning. Is that when we set ourselves up that we are never wrong or that we are right and somebody else needs to be corrected, but it's, it's an opinion matter or it it's, might even be a faith matter, but I approach it from a point of contemptuousness, then I am being worldly. Are you not acting like mere humans? Yeah, pretty much just like mere Peter. For when one says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Paulus, this is kind of the middle part of what was going on. You are not, are you not mere human beings? After all, what is Apollos? What is Paul? Only servants. That one's really interesting. What are you? You are a servant of the Most High God. You're not the arbitrator of all things. You are a servant. You are his representative, through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned each to his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God is making it grow. Then he goes on to say this. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. We get out of the way so God can have his way. That's what this is. And worldliness means I get in the way so I get recognized. We get out of the way. God has his way. And so he then is the one who people find to be magnificent because if somebody like me can get out of the way and doesn't have to draw attention to myself and is humble in heart and is a servant, that's noticeable in a culture that says it's all about you. It's all about you. He says this, verse 8, The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. Notice this. I love 9. Put it in green. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. You and I are co-workers together. I like co-laborers too. We do this together. We are equally yoked in Christ. We do different tasks, but we are co-workers together. We have inestimable value. We are at different points along the way. We are the same in Christ of incredible abilities. We are supposed to be different, so we do different things. One person can't do everything. And we are not to be competitive, jealous, or quarreling. That's a mouthful. I love a church like that. And we get to be that church a lot. And this class gets to be that way every Wednesday. We're not a quarreling class. It's great. I love it. We can talk about things. That's what God has designed for us, is to just talk about stuff and to pray and and to be aware. We are in this together, and God is creating a superstructure. He's creating a tall tower. He's creating a skyscraper. And you are a part of it. It's called the church. Through our struggles, through what He is doing in our life, through us being put together The building is what the world is supposed to notice as the church, which is really amazing. That is the one thing that I've seen about this church is it is not a quarrelsome Mm -mm. church. No. I've never heard of any... Yeah, we don't quarrel, which is really cool. Yeah, it is cool. It's very cool. Such a blessing. Even with interim ministers, it's never been a quarrelsome church. No. Thank you, Jesus. I don't know how that happened. But I'm so glad that it has. It's just really, a, it's an amazing experience. Especially with so many people from such diverse backgrounds who just want to know what God wants us to do. That is our commonality, which is really cool.
So, go. so let's move on um, and let me give you your challenge. Um, I want to talk to you about self-removal. <laughs> I would have loved to talk about snow removal from last week, but we didn't have any. But we have plenty of self in the room, I'm sure. So, it's only possible with a life surrendered to Christ, immersed in the, in the Word of God, and empowered by the Holy Spirit. So, the first one is, make sure that somebody knows that you are working on removing yourself from the center of something. So, if you're struggling with something, this is a common experience. I just want to say that. I mean, if you were to say to me, I've got a lot of self in my in my relationship right now. I know from my experience what that means for me. I'm not walking in your shoes. I'm going to go, oh wow, okay, well, how can I be helpful to you? What can I be praying about for you? Because you're going to have to go through this process to learn what it's like to pull back and take your lead mystically from the work of God in your life. So here are the first steps, and, and we're going to talk about repentance. I want to go through the steps, and I want to come here, because this is step number one. Uh, repentance follows Hosea 14, and is the application of 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, which says, um, If any one of you sins, God is faithful to forgive us when we confess, and to purify us from all unrighteousness. It's amazing. We have to walk into God's presence, raise our hand, and say, I did that. I did that. And that's not who I want to be. And I need your help to not do that anymore. That is true repentance. And here is what I am going to do instead. And here are the steps that I want to take. There is this turnaround, but there is this sense that I must be honest. I am this way. That's brokenness. And Barna, that's brokenness. And a lot of people don't get there because they go, well, of course I'm that way. And you just have to love me the way that I am. No, you're broken. You have to approach God and say, I am broken. This is not the way that you want me to be. And I need you to mend me. I need you to help me. I need you to grow me. I need you to move me forward in some way so that I am less broken. I'm always going to be broken this side of um, heaven. In fact, one of my colleagues said this to me, which was very profound. Sin probably enters us more through our human body than through any other means. How we feel. How we emotionally respond to something. What we say. How we manage the stewardship of our body through food, chemicals, those kinds of things. Sin sort of enters through the physical side because guess what's going to die? Our bodies. Our bodies are not renewed. Our spirit is. So we are still attracted to sin at times more than others because it's the appetite of our body, which is really fascinating. Our spirit comes alive. Our personalities, if you will, our soul has renewal in it, but our bodies continue to sabotage us. You ever wake up on the wrong side of the bed and you can't get on the right side of the bed to go to bed at night? Why does that happen? I have no idea why that malfunction happens. That is a sabotage of the body. Sabotage of the body. You ever get depressed and you don't know why? And you're just all gloom and doom and you're like, gosh, what has just happened to me? And I'm just like cranky and irritable? It is a sabotage of the body. Sin enters through us in that way. Okay, So... Um, God will help us when that occurs and we're like, I'm stuck in this and you need to help me. Uh, Focus on the new creation on who you would be like, who you would like to be like. I always tell everybody, write out a paragraph on who you want to be when you grow up to be like Jesus. And then keep refining that paragraph. Keep writing it over and over again. 
Uh, and then the last ones, immerse yourself in scripture, develop spiritual friendships, develop a prayer life by coaching and mentoring, find your spiritual pathways. These are all things we've talked about. Um, live in the joy of the Lord, find a personal expression of service, be generous with others, and share your journey with others. These are some of those spiritual choices that um, you and I can have. So let me give you your assignment, should you be brave enough to accept it. And I will ask you next week to talk about this. And if you didn't do it, you're welcome to say, I didn't do this. And you don't have to say why. You could just say, I didn't have enough time. It will take you an hour and a half, hour and 15 minutes, the first time if you've never done anything like this. I'm just saying, you've got to take some time. This is not a fast walkthrough. You may or may not have that time this week, but I want to ask you to actually try to find this. Okay, so Hosea chapter 14 is a wonderful biblical way to repent. And what I have done, this is um, on the very last sheet of your, of your handout packet, um, is that you have um, these verses from Hosea. There are seven verses that come all the way through. And I have done this in the New International Version. So the regular type is the actual scripture, and then the italicized version is the Peter Buckland interpretation. Okay, so number one, return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. This is accepting personal responsibility. I said those words. I had that attitude. I rolled my eyes. I was that impatient. I yelled and screamed. I ignored you yesterday, Lord. I chose to not read my Bible when it crossed my mind. I decided to harbor lustful thoughts in my mind. Okay, You raise your hand and you say, I did that. Number two, take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Now, repentance is not like laying in bed at the end of the night saying, oh Lord, I had a really hard day, please forgive me. No. If you were offended and somebody came up to you and brushed off the offense and said, oh, it'll be okay, I'm really sorry, just please forgive me, you'd be like, you don't really know how much that hurt. And so what you're looking at here, and I wrote this out, be specific with repentance prayers, request forgiveness, and recognize the result will be to offer praise and worship to God. Specifically go through and state what it is that you did. This is what will take you time. This is what I have noticed when I have done this. I did this years ago, and it was amazing. Um, I, I went to a park, I was at Cooks and Hills, I went to a park and I just was sitting there by myself. I prefer to do this outside than inside. And I will sit down and I will say, Lord, I have come to repent. Please bring to my mind what I need to repent from. It took me an hour and 15 minutes the first time. I had never done this before. And what started to come to my mind were the offenses and the things that I had done over the last week. And, and I would just notice those and I would go, yes, I don't want to be that way. Yes, I did that. Yes, I want to do something different. That's, that's all that you're doing is you're acknowledging I did that. It's like there's this something that plays on the screen of your mind. And then it's like over. But it's not over. There's kind of a reprieve. And then it's like, okay, Lord, there's got to be more. The first time I did this, there were five times that I did this. And each time, I felt better. This is not a time to feel bad. This is a time when God separates your sins from you as far as... Remember what this says in Psalm 103? As far as the east is from the west. This is the actual separation. This is the removal. This is amazing. This is not to beat yourself up. This is not to rehearse what you did. This is, Lord, please take these things from me. When I was done, I felt lighter. I can't describe it to you. It was like burdens were lifted, and it was like a wonderful experience. And I knew what I needed to do. I mean, if I could just 
do all the things I know to do already. It's not like I need to learn a whole bunch of new things. I need God to keep transforming me. And so at the end, it's like, Lord, keep transforming me, but thank you so much for cleaning me up. I feel better. This is the way that I repent now. I repent for very specific words and actions that I have done. And I will do this maybe every other week. I mean, I will do the, hey, I'm really sorry about that, or I will apologize as I go. But I will, I will just stop and I will say, okay, Lord, what do I need to come to you to repent? He's keeping track. Not that it's like, I'm going to get you. But it's, these things are still a burden on your soul. And you need to recognize, Peter, that they are a burden on your soul. And I want to take them away from you. And you need to experience their removal. So you can trust me. I'm going to remove it. So if you feel really bad, and you're carrying guilt, or you feel like, ah, I did that again, how many times is God going to forgive you? An innumerable amount of times. That's what 490 means. An innumerable amount of times. It is based on your heart. If your heart is willing and you want to be renewed and you're struggling with something, He will go the distance to help you. And if you don't make it all the way there, by the time that you see Him in glory, you're going to have a magnificent time telling Him, I'm so finally glad that you have released me from the burden of what it means to live in a broken world. Thank you so much. There's an entirely different way to look at repentance and forgiveness. So, move on. Uh, number three. Now, this is Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. We will never again say our gods to what our hands have made. For in you the fatherless find compassion. Verse three um, is, are the national sins of Israel. You have national sins. Your national sins are the sins you're going to go back to throughout your life if you are left to your own devices. Think about that. Most of your sins will come from a core group of one or two or three. Your national sins. Israel's national sin was political alliances and idolatry. Their sexual immorality came from idolatry. It didn't come because they were just sexually immoral. It came out of religious practices of the nations around them. And here you have their national sin. And so I put recognize the national sin of your life and how you have used that sinful thinking or behaving and tried to try to meet your needs. Now, if you can't find a national sin, I promise pride will be it. So look for ways that you have protected yourself by being prideful. Because I promise that if you don't find a secondary sin, that is your national sin. I want what I want, when I want it, and I want to act the way that I want to act. Huh. That's pride. That's what it will be. It all goes down to what happened in the garden of, I'm going to take matters into my own hands because I'm having a hard time trusting you, or I don't believe you right now, or I don't really want to follow you. I know I said that really harsh. I apologize. But I didn't really mean the apology, so I apologize for not really meaning the apology. Okay, what you have then is a section about what to do, about these levels. And now I want to tell you what's going to happen. If you do this, this is what's amazing. This is why this is really good. Verse 4, I will heal their waywardness and love them freely. My anger has turned from them. Do you want to be wholeheartedly devoted to God? This is one of the few passages of Scripture that tells you how that's going to happen. Repentance. I will heal your waywardness. Oh my. By just acknowledging and letting you actually... Change me? Yes, this is, one of, this is one of the methods of transformation. Repentance is a method of transformation. Isn't that interesting? 
Hmm. We don't normally think about it that way, which is why we have to spend time on it, is to let him do his work. It's like spiritual surgery. Number five. Now, this is really cool. He'll be like a dew to Israel. He will blossom like a lily, like the cedar of Lebanon. He will send down his roots. The dew came in the morning hours, refreshed plant life during the dry season. The lily was the most sought after flower in the reason, uh, region. The cedars of Lebanon were strong trees that could withstand harsh weather. God is going to bring you refreshment. You do this, you will feel better. I can testify that that is true. And in the middle of this page is an actual cedar of Lebanon. That's what they look like. That's, you're going to have the roots of that kind of tree that can be a thousand years old. And the roots are down deep as big as the tree is tall. You want deep spiritual roots? Repentance is a way you get them. Isn't that interesting? Hmm. Saying, God, you've got to change me because I can't do this. You've got to take this away from me because I can't. Number... Number six, the young shoots will grow. This is my favorite. The splendor will be like an olive tree, the fragrance like a cedar of Lebanon. God himself supervises the sensitive change process and provides energy and strength for you. Now, I want you to think of a little teeny tiny plant in the garden. A good gardener goes out and makes sure that those plants are protected, right? I mean, you, you will stake them. You will clean out all of the, the trash grass that grows in them. Why? So that the tree will grow. God stands over your new creation and protects it when you repent. That's what he's saying. I will stand over you and I will protect your, these new shoots of who you are. And then he goes on and he says, um, the splendor is like an olive tree. The olive tree is the only 100% consumable tree in the Middle East. Think about that. If you want your entire life to matter, it's an olive tree illustration. You eat the olives, you squish the olives and make olive oil, and it's a part of your survival. It also was a sign of the Holy Spirit. You'd put it on your body to hold your moisture in. It was used for um, anointing and a, and a sign of the Holy Spirit in your life. Um, you would use the olive tree for shade, and when the olive tree died, you would use it for um, heat, and you could cook over it. An entirely consumable life for the glory of God is an olive tree. And he said, I'll make you an olive tree if you will repent. Not interesting. He didn't say if you try harder. He didn't say if you go to church more. He didn't say if you read your Bible more. He didn't say if you just you know, talk to yourself into being a better Christian. He said, if you will come to me and let me change you, I will make you like an olive tree. And then the fragrance is like a cedar of Lebanon. I've only met two people who don't like the smell of cedar. Is there anybody in here who does not like the smell of cedar? This is used because there's something really cool about cedar. It is my preferred tree to burn. It is just amazing. He said he's going to make you stink really good. Wherever you go, there's going to be an amazing aroma. That's going to be really cool. And you walk into a room and people will say, I'm glad you're here. I'd like to have that by, by doing this. And then the last one, men will dwell again in his shade, flourish like the grain, blossom like a vine, fame will be like a wine from Lebanon. Men will again dwell in the shade. I want to leave this for you. You know that we live in a hard world. And you know that people are always looking for others that can be encouraging and supportive. And what this is saying is when this process is going on and God is renewing you and he's changing you, he's going to make you like a great big tree in a very dry land. And people are going to come up to you and they're going to find rest with you. They're going to dwell in your shade. You're going to be able to minister to them. Just your very presence is going to be meaningful to them. Um, your businesses, the people that you are working with can interact with you. I mean, some will want to be your enemies, but most of the time there's going to be lots of really great things that will happen because you will be nourished by the living God. And as a tree nourished by the living God, other people will come up and find relief um, relating to you.
I just think that is so cool. It doesn't matter what your story is, you're going to be an amazing tree. And then you've got some other things in here with vines and grains and all those sorts of things. Here's what I, my challenge for you is. I dare you to repent. And I want for you to have the most amazing experience that you can have with God. This is the only passage of Scripture that talks about repentance this way. And it's true. He will make you those things. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much. Help us to follow you, to interact with you, to trust you, to try your methods, and to watch you work in our lives. Grant to us the intimacy that we crave, but also help us to make the time to be able to interact with you in the ways that you want us to. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.